Welcome to the Special Needs Kids Are People Too podcast with Amy Bodkin, EDS. Amy is an autistic adult who also happens to be a school psychologist turned special needs consultant and public speaker. She's also a homeschooling mom to two autistic kiddos, a yoga instructor, a card-carrying Trekkie, and an all-around fun person. And last but not least, Amy is an advocate for seeing every child as a person, not a diagnosis. Because a special needs kid is just like any other child, just more so. Here's Amy Bodkin. Hi, I'm Amy Bodkin, coming to you from the blanket fort in my office, and welcome to Special Needs Kids Are People Too. Today, we're going to be talking about what inclusion really means. True inclusion means accepting people for who they are, where they are, without any strings attached, but also without elevating them to the level of a superhero, or even just above yourself. Um, There is an episode of Star Trek, there's always an episode of Star Trek, guys, that teaches just about any social concept that I'm needing to learn. It was in The Next Generation, it's called The Dolphin. And in it, Commander Riker and Guinan are showing Wesley how you flirt with a girl. And Commander Riker is trying all his best lines. And Guinan says, careful, putting me on a pedestal so high you may not be able to reach me. And then Commander Riker says, then I'll learn how to fly. You are the heart of my day and the soul of my night. And what Guinan says in that line about being careful not to put me on a pedestal so high that you may not be able to reach me, that is exactly what happens when we don't accept people at our own level. When we don't truly accept people as being just like us at our level, and instead we elevate them and say, oh, well, they've got this superpower, or they're so amazing, or they're such an inspiration, you're no longer at the same level. And when you put someone on a pedestal like that, it can make it very difficult for you to reach them and reach them relationally. How do you have a relationship with somebody who you have placed up high on a pedestal? It's difficult. You can't really have a truly open relationship. And that's really where a lot of the issues come with inclusion. Either we are saying, oh, it's inclusion because we're making it look like this child is getting to participate like everybody else, even though what they're actually doing is not meaningful at all. It just looks like what everybody's doing. I teach classes for a Charlotte Mason plenary um, co-op. It's called the Charlotte Mason co-op and I teach classes online. I have all different levels of interest in different things. This semester I'm teaching woodworking and yoga. And I've got kids in there who are preschoolers, I've got kids who are non-speaking, I've got kids who are about to graduate high school. Um, There's just so many different kids with so many different levels of interest in different subjects. And what we work on really hard with my classes is making sure that they're inclusive. And honestly, we do that with the entire co-op. All of the teachers who teach in a Charlotte Mason co-op 
have access to me. And we work to make sure that every child gets to be truly included and not just included in a way that makes them look like they're included, but not really being included. So with woodworking, there is a prerequisite that you need to be able to manipulate the tools, typically with your hands. Um, but I always provide a lot of options. So our first week of class, we were talking about wood and the different um, properties of wood and how that impacts what you choose. Not all the kids were interested in that part. That's okay. They can work where they're at. And one of the things I've said often about woodworking and also handicrafts in general is that I have one child who started using tools at three years old. And I have another child who was figuring out the hammer by about 10. My three-year-old was not interested and really had no language at all and couldn't understand about all the details. But... She was great at figuring out how to put things together and how to use a tool. And she built a table at about, I think, four years old. And it's it stood up. It was not pretty, but it stood up. And so we all come to subjects where we're at. And I think, and a lot of people find it difficult to teach to that wide of a range of abilities. Um, I think the real key to being able to do that is making sure that you're providing a feast, a feast of learning. So you're not just providing things at the level you're teaching, you're providing lots of different options. And you're providing opportunities to participate at whatever level is comfortable for you. And it's still meaningful. The kids in my woodworking class, they're going to get experience using tools, they're going to learn what the tools are and how they're used. And they're going to make some things. Now, some of them may end up making some, you know, absolutely gorgeous, intricate string art. And some of them might use some simple patterns and use rubber bands because that works better for their fine motor skills. You just never know. But by providing options, people are actually able to really be included instead of going, oh, well, we're doing this, so we're going to make it look like you're doing this and participating, and we're going to help you a lot. You want people to be able to participate where they're ready, not where we can drag them along to. That's not really true inclusion. And on the reverse end of that is the whole superhero concept. Oh, you're such an inspiration. Oh, you've got such a cool superpower. Or, well, this is my little superhero. Those things also separate us. Inclusion is about keeping people from feeling isolated. And you can isolate somebody by dragging them along and not having anything for them. And you can isolate people by, you know, praising them so much that they're not at all like you. And now for a word from our sponsors. Hey guys, this is Amy from amybodkin.com. I wanted to let you know that we're starting a new type of episode on the podcast called Dear Amy. We would love for you to submit the questions you have about homeschooling and life in general with special needs to amybodkin.com forward slash dear dash Amy. I'm looking forward to discussing some of the topics that are important in your life. One of the things that I am super excited about announcing today is that we're also about to start another series in the podcast. And I've been planning this since we first started talking about the podcast. 
and this series is going to be called Profiles in Personhood. I got the idea for the name from the book Profiles in Courage by John F. Kennedy. And I really found that book to be inspiring. And I'd like to share briefly the story that Caroline Kennedy recorded about what really gave her father the idea for the book. This is from the introduction of Profiles in Courage. John F. Kennedy began his public service career as a PT boat commander in the South Pacific in World War II. While on patrol on the night of August 2nd, 1943, the PT-109 was rammed by a Japanese destroyer, the Amagiri, and exploded into flames, throwing crew members into the burning water. Two were killed, and one was burned so badly he couldn't swim. Clutching a strap of the injured man's life jacket in his teeth, Lieutenant Kennedy towed the wounded soldier, or sailor to the nearest island three miles away. For the next six days, with little food or water, the men hid, fearing they would be captured by the Japanese. Each evening, Kennedy swam through the shark-infested waters to other islands seeking help until he was spotted by two Solomon Islanders, Ironi Kumana and Biuki Gasa. They picked a coconut onto which Kennedy carved a message, which they took to the hideout of a nearby Australian coast watcher who arranged rescue. In the summer of 2002, a National Geographic Society expedition found that the legend of John F. Kennedy's courage lives on in the faraway Solomon Islands. Using remote-controlled vehicles with underwater cameras, explorer Robert Ballard and his team discovered the sunken PT-109. Expedition members met Eroni Kumana, the man whose simple canoe saved my father's life and changed the course of history, and his son, John F. Kennedy Kumana. My father's bravery earned him the Navy and Marine Corps Medal for extremely heroic conduct and a Purple Heart for his injuries. It also led to profiles and courage. The collision with the Japanese destroyer left him with a spinal injury which required surgery in the winter of 1954-55. Elected to the U.S. Senate two years before, my father was interested in understanding the qualities that make a great senator. Just like there are events and qualities that shape who we become, to make us into great leaders, things that build courage. There are also experiences and qualities that shape all of us into the people that we become. And I think this is particularly important when we're talking about any kind of special need. And what I mean by special need is not necessarily that, oh, you have a special need. Um, we all have special needs at some point in our lives. Nobody gets out of this life without coming across something that's difficult. Whether it's developmental, learning, trauma, everybody has something at some point. Maybe not all the time, but at some point. And so I feel like it would be a wonderful thing for us to explore some of these qualities and experiences that have helped shape other 
special needs kids, adults, autistic kids, autistic adults, you know, um, and not just autistic. But what are some of these experiences? Uh, what are some of these qualities? How do they see themselves? What is it about their personhood? What has contributed to the person that they've become? I tell people all the time, if you want to tell me about your kid, I want to hear about what they're interested in. Because what they're interested in tells me a whole lot more than numbers on a test. Even though I do love to look at test scores because I do find it useful. It's, it's data, but it doesn't tell me about the person. It just gives me a little more information. And so with this series, I want to highlight that special needs kids really are people too. That we all have personhood. And some of that uniqueness that contributes to the people that we become. And I've already promised that I will let my kids go first because they have been asking and asking to get to be included. Sometimes it'll be kids. Sometimes it will be adults. And I'm going to start out with some of my clients, but we'll be definitely offering up opportunities for other people to make submissions to participate. The, the thing is, this podcast, it's called Special Needs Kids or People Too. And I could talk about my experiences all day long. But if I give you just my experiences, then you're only getting my experiences. And so what I'd like to do is open up this conversation sometimes to include other voices so that we can talk about what their experiences are, how those experiences have shaped them into the person that they are. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. I'm very curious to hear about different people's special interests, their experiences. How do you see yourself? Um, what do you think about your diagnoses? What are your diagnoses? What do you think of that? How do you see yourself? Do you like yourself? What do you like about yourself? What do you not like about yourself? Those are all very interesting questions. And I find a lot of times I gain a lot of insight by listening to other people with different experiences as to how that has shaped them. And it really gives me a broader perspective on how I can, you know, support my own children as they're growing and changing uh, and also work with clients. No one person's experience is the same. And really, if you want to talk about inclusion, and how we can be more inclusive and truly accepting. I think that's where you really have to start. What do you like? Who are you as a person? How do you see yourself? Um, what do we have that's the same? Not, oh, wow, you're so different from me and that makes you so special because that feels false. Not... Oh, well, you know, you can't do what I can do, but we can, we can help you along and you can come along right with us and feel included. Well, that doesn't really feel included. It only feels included when you're able to be yourself. When you're able to work where you're at. We've got a long ways to go on that. There are a lot of times when I was in working in um, schools 
that I saw kids in inclusion, but they were not working where they were at. They were maybe a middle school student in an inclusion classroom, but their language skills were at a first grade level, and they were being asked to do middle school work with supports. And it just, it wasn't actually truly inclusive. And it can go the other way, too. We can, you know, make a big deal out of people's gifts. And we do that a lot of times to gifted kids, and then we end up isolating them instead. Which giftedness and special needs, ugh, that's a whole nother kettle of fish in and of itself. What if instead of labeling people, we just provided opportunities for everybody to work where they're at? Do we have to always grade things? Yes, there are certain times where it is essential that things be at a particular grade level. There are certain topics that are not appropriate until we have a certain level of receptive language um, or a certain level of understanding about things in the world so that we aren't feeling quite so sensitive. Um, but... A lot of things don't have to be graded like that. And a lot of things don't have to be just all kids the same age or all the same developmental level. A lot of it comes down to your expectations. If we can modify our expectations and allow people to work where they're at, then they have the ability to work on the things that are right for them at this moment. But if our expectations are that they have to have a particular grade to pass or they have to be able to accomplish a certain amount of work, that's where we're going to have problems. Because some people just aren't going to meet those expectations in the way that you expect at that moment. Either because it's not right for them at this moment, they've already done it. Um, that causes less of a problem in some ways as far as meeting the expectation, but it does lead to some behavioral issues sometimes too. But when we give people wiggle room when they're learning, say here's the project we're going to be working on for woodworking. We're going to do string art. You've got options. You can pick whatever pattern you want. A simple pattern to choose might be a simple star pattern because it requires fewer nails and we can use them all at the corners and then use rubber bands to connect them, like colored yellow rubber bands. But, you know, we can also do a really complicated cactus that's got several different colors going on and different design patterns with the string. And providing those options gives people the opportunity to work where they're at, but they're still doing the same thing. They're still learning the same things. Everyone might not catch all the details, but they're all still working together, learning the same basic things at their level. And to me, that's what real inclusion is. And I do the same thing when I teach yoga, too. I always, almost always teach family yoga these days. So I have adults, I have children, I have people with physical disabilities. And we always, one, make it fun. We include imagination, music, things like that, where we can all kind of connect together. And then we find different options for different poses. So I might demonstrate a pose standing up. I might demonstrate a pose sitting in a chair. 
I might have a kid who's not paying attention at all and running around the room, and that's totally fine. We have a saying in yoga called, mind your own mat. And I guess that's kind of what I have come to um, see as true inclusion and has influenced me as a teacher. Mind your own mat means let people work where they're at in your class. So no matter where I am, I'm trying to remember, you need to work where you're at. I used to do this all the time when I would go to the grocery store with my kids, constantly telling myself, mind your own mat, mind your own mat, (laughs) because the temptation is strong to want people to act the way you think that they should or to be working on the things that you think that they should. But in reality, people have to work where they're at. And sometimes where they're at is not at all where everybody else is. And that's okay. They have to take their steps to get where they're going. And trying to rush them isn't going to help matters. So if you want to be really inclusive, mind your own mat. Let people around you work where they're at. And try to connect with them as people at the same level. We're both human beings. We both eat. (laughs) We both, you know, have friends. Whatever it is you both have, everybody has something in common. Find those commonalities and try not to make those differences such a big deal, whether it's in one direction or another. Don't lift someone on a pedestal that it's too high for you to reach and connect with. And don't drag someone along down behind you. They're going to get into some scrapes and bumps along the way if you're doing that. So, for true inclusion, mind your own mat. Work where you're at. And try to connect with each other where you're at. Where you have common interests and similarities. Thanks for joining me. Looking forward to seeing you guys next time. We hope you had fun listening to today's episode and gained some new insights into the wonderful variety of people in our world. You can find out more about Amy's advocacy work at amybodkin.com. And remember, special needs kids are people too.